guys, welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. Today I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Patrick Collinson, the CEO over at Stripe. And got a bunch of time with him before the interview, which was fantastic to sit down and really understand a little bit more about him, his background, really why they started the company in the first place. I think something that really sort of struck me was um, albeit uh, hugely successful, you know, multiple billion uh, company, and actually you've got somebody at the helm of that organization who's so passionate still about solving real customer problems. Uh, the amount of people that we sort of come across where the version that you hear in an interview and the version that there is backstage are often quite different. Uh, but in this case, actually Patrick backstage was very much what you're going to hear in this interview. I uh, hope you enjoy. Fantastic. Man, they, they turned out in numbers for you. This is good, right? <laughs> okay, um, I mean, there was a great intro there, so I probably don't need to introduce you too much. I think, uh, you know, Stripe's kind of success is uh, probably globally known. All different types of things, all different types of countries, like great valuation. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but like, there's lots of payments companies out there. Like, what's made you successful? <laughs> um, well, it's great to be here. Um, uh, so... Um I think with Stripe, um, you know, when we started out, uh, we were called uh, slash dev slash payments, uh, which, by the way, I do not recommend as a name in case anyone's uh, <laughs> considering something like that. Um, do you still own that domain? Is that a... we, we, we do still own the domain, okay, but, but, but Stripe turned out to be a much better name. Um, but at the, uh, I think we approached this problem uh, sort of in you know, two ways that were quite materially different to, to everyone else. The first is that we really wanted to build a developer-centric platform. Mm. And back you know, nine years ago, when we were just starting out, nobody was really thinking about developers. Uh, and how do, you sort of, uh, how do you build a platform that enables kind of permissionless innovation? The traditional approach had been much more focused on, well, how do we facilitate this particular use case or that particular use case, but not how do you enable the wealth more broadly? The second thing, uh, and I think this is really changing, which is great to see, uh, is really trying to build a global platform. We talk about building the GPTN, the Global Payments and Treasury Network. And traditionally, because of you know, the origins of the financial sector and banking and so on, uh, we've had players uh, and banks and, and financial institutions and so forth, focused on specific markets, specific geos. Yeah. But of course, you know, when you're serving the internet, you want a global platform that enables transactions everywhere. And then the last thing was, and I know this is an area of focus for many of the companies here, but we really tried to bring a, uh, an obsessive focus on what the user wants, what the user needs. And that's something that's kind of a, a constant, uh, you know, um, we have to constantly remind ourselves of this, build new mechanisms to kind of infuse it within the culture, uh, where, um, you know, it's so easy to get distracted by what the media is saying, what the supposed strategic landscape is. You know, it's kind of mundane in some sense, just go talk to your users, ask them, what are your top 10 problems, and figure out how to solve them. And so we've really tried to kind of self-flagellate um, uh, <laughs> unendingly in that regard uh, over time. I mean, that seems so obvious when you say it out loud, like talk to customers, listen to them, do what they want. Yeah, no, uh, people ask us, you know, how do we choose what to build and so on? And, you know, why do we do radar or billing or connect and everything? Uh, and I think they think we're, we're, we're being coy when we say, you know, we, we just obsessively talk to our users. But I mean, we're serving the most innovative, fastest growing companies in the world, and they are really good at knowing what they need. 
Uh, and so we don't want to second guess them. It's like, I think they're pretty good at it. Uh, and so we just try to be very simple minded about uh, sort of taking diligent notes and then going and building that. Nice. I, I think um, one of the great quotes that I've read from you, if people don't think what you're doing is, is a little bit strange, maybe it's not strange enough. So how do you keep sort of finding that strange strategy to sort of keep moving out into the future? Well, well, that line was uh, from, uh, I think, a, 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 um, a page on my website that was advice to teenagers. Uh, and so um, <laughs> that might apply to 13-year-olds. I don't know if it applies to companies. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it is certainly the case, I think, that uh, um, in any industry, and I, I don't think it's just ours, uh, there are such kind of um, you know, mimetic herd dynamics where a particular approach gets popular, or a particular technology, whatever, and everybody kind of runs that way. Uh, whereas, of course, if you just look back as a descriptive matter, where did the big breakthroughs come from? They were kind of from things that looked nothing like what everyone else is doing. Like Visa looked nothing like what everyone else was thinking about uh, sort of at the time. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, so, 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 so I, I do think, you know, in general, with companies, with everything, it's useful to try to figure out, you know, uh, what's, what's a good idea and totally different to what everyone else is focused on. Mm. And I guess with that purpose, you know, there's a real, I guess, a debate between what is tech fin and what is fintech. Uh, it's, which, which sort of side of that do you think stripes on? Are you a tech company coming into financial services or the other way around? Right. Um, well, when we were starting out, there was no fintech. Mm. Um, uh, it was... Um, it was just, uh, you know, the, the initially the two of us uh, trying to compete with all these, uh, these large incumbents. Um, and, and it's amazing. I was walking around the floor just before the session, and it's like really incredible to see uh, all the cool new companies uh, that, have, uh, that have now sprung up. Um, I sort of, you know, um, uh, I'm not sure that's the right division uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, Finance is a technology, um, uh, and a pretty amazing technology. Money is technology, and you know all the existing players that have gotten us to here are, in some sense, building technologies. You have to look at the kind of the broader socio-technology of the whole thing. Uh, and so, yeah, now I think that sort of software uh, and the internet are these kind of um, you know enormous new waves. But that's always been the case in sort of the the you know. Um, uh, in the financial world. I mean, double entry accounting was a technology, right? Uh, and so, uh, and, and now I guess we can do it in the blockchain. Um, but uh, uh, so, so anyway, I, I think, um, uh, I think uh, uh, tech fin, fintech, you know, we, we, we can separate them. Finance has always been technology. That was a good way of not answering my question. Thank you, that was, <laughs> that was nice. But uh, so, so I guess on, on that, um, you know, I guess one of the things within the, the finance world is regulation. Yeah. You know, actually we've been in a, a world where, you know, regulation has really been setting the agenda a lot. You know, everything with open banking and SCA and GPR. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys put out a really interesting report recently about, uh, if I had, over the last couple of days. So you purely on the SCA side of things. Yes. You know, you guys are, are predicting a, a very rocky road forward for, for people in terms of risk of revenue being lost from actually these standards coming in. Yeah. Um, how, how do you see this playing out and, and what are you guys sort of actually proposing about it? Yeah, we're worried about this, yeah. right? Uh, in that, you know, we work with more than a million businesses. Uh, we work with, you know, some of the largest companies in the world, you know, huge public companies, and then sort of a whole host of, you know, rapidly growing startups and so on. Um, and the ag aggregate state of readiness uh, we see across the industry uh, is, uh, is still quite poor. 
Uh, and that's not kind of our assessment. This is what these businesses themselves tell us. And so we actually just commissioned this, uh, this research from, uh, from 451. Uh, they went and they surveyed a whole bunch of European businesses. And the reported state of readiness from European businesses is really very poor. And based on this, 451 estimated that there's up to 57 billion euro of revenue sort of uh, you know, uh, in question or that you know, may very well be lost uh, over the next year uh, in Europe. SCA is going to be a punch in the stomach for any business that's, that has not invested considerably in making sure they're ready with the new mandates. We've been working on it for the last two years or so, completely re-architecting our APIs, our checkout flows, uh, how it is that we handle authentication. We required touch tech. We've been sort of retooling everything for sort of Stripe Europe to make sure that, uh, that all the businesses built on Stripe are not only ready, but can kind of use this as a chance to improve their flows. Mm. Uh, but, but again, when, when we talk to businesses in aggregate, and especially those not built on Stripe, um, uh, we're, we're pretty worried. And so we're kind of uh, sounding the alarm bell a little bit here because you know, we really want the ecosystem as a whole to do well. It's not in anyone's interest uh, for, for consumer experiences to degrade. And so I think we really have to get on top of it. Mm. And, and I guess maybe this is one of the instances where regulations actually much more negative to the end consumer in terms of choice or customer experience. But I guess there are a lot where the things like open banking are opening up, right? Um, I mean, you guys are probably the best poster boy for uh, actually creating things that really integrate with developers. I mean, what advice can you give to uh, you know, the bankers in the room who are maybe struggling to understand how to engage with those audiences and, and giving them access to APIs or giving them access to even just documentation that makes sense? Sure. Um, well, look, I, I don't presume to you know, offer too much by way of advice and that you know, we, we, we don't uh, know anyone else's kind of knitting, but um, uh, I will say that I, I'm really struck by the fact when we now go and talk, I mean, the Stripe model has always been partnership-based, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like in, in financial technology, you can't go it alone yeah. um, uh, or in anywhere in the financial space. And you know, the notion of sort of co-opetition ha has always prevailed sort of in, in our sector. And when we talk to... Uh, to banks and other financial institutions, we're incredibly struck by how there's um, uh, a sense of partnership and an awareness of the need to work together uh, to kind of successfully na navigate these transitions that wasn't necessarily the case sort of 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you know, you're, you're seeing it. There's, there's many banks kind of out here on the floor that are talking about how they're opening up their platforms, standardizing with APIs, uh, working together with people they might not traditionally have partnered with, and I think that's a wonderful thing to see. Mm. I think that's a lot easier for new organizations coming in, isn't it? Because you're, you're born into that. Uh, I don't mean physically born into it, I mean the period of actually co uh, cooperation being a real thing. I guess for uh, older organizations, it's uh, the emotional intelligence to sort of let go of you being good at everything rather than actually letting other people in. That's, that's actually really hard. Yeah, I, I, I think there's that. And I think there's also an awareness that, look, we, um, it, it might have been okay to focus before, again, on, on a specific country. It's like, hey, we're going to be the biggest player in this pond. We're no longer in ponds. We're in a connected ocean, right? Um, and nobody can be globally ascendant and dominant in every single country. Yeah. Uh, and anybody who kind of thinks with that mindset is sort of in, I think, for, for a sort of a swift and rude awakening. Uh, we're, no, we're no longer in ponds, we're in a connected ocean. Like, there's like a hundred people have just tweeted that thing in the room. That's like a great, great thing in terms of... So, uh, well, I guess an ocean is definitionally connected. So we're no longer in pon 
excuse me, we're no longer in puns, we're in an ocean. Maybe that'd be the more semantically uh, appropriate version. Yeah, the second version, right? <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah. So you can edit the tweet uh, whenever that shifts. <laughs> it's, um, it's an interesting uh, space, because do you, do you see that being, I guess, your future? You know, you guys started doing one thing amazingly well, but you're doing, you know, with SEA and with yep. all of these different things. You know, common wisdom is do one thing amazingly well, but you seem to be doing lots of things amazingly well. Um, well, uh, um, thank you. Um, uh, it gets back to this idea of um, of being customer centric, right? Uh, in that, you know, I, I think saying that we operate in this particular segment or sector or subspace or whatever that that's kind of um, you know the the inward perspective. Uh, the way we kind of we define what we're doing is we're trying to help more companies get started, mm. more business, more, more technology businesses globally, and we're trying to help internet businesses of every shape and size be more successful. Mm. We're trying to help five-person startups be more successful, and we're trying to help 50,000-person companies be more successful and expand globally and navigate the challenges uh, of the internet and so on. And again, uh, as I described earlier, all we do is we divide them up, we try to find what are kind of the, 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 the subgroups with kind of uh, similar needs, and then meticulously survey them to figure out what is it that's holding them back. Mm -hmm. And often it's not very glamorous. You know, there's the old Picasso quote that I, um, uh, I've sort of long liked, you know, when you get art critics together, and you know, they want to talk about themes and motifs and ideas and all the rest, uh, and, uh, and you get, you know, painters together, and they want to talk about where to get cheap turpentine. Um, and, uh, and kind of similarly, you know, you get, uh, I had lunch with a bunch of payments people, um, uh, some some uh, some folks we work with, uh, and uh, you know we're discussing interchange reporting, not the most glamorous topic for sort of uh, the vast majority of the world. But you know if you're in payments, you know that having real-time transaction-level interchange reporting like that that's really awesome and not uniformly available. Uh, and I so, mean, you, you talk about very different things over lunch than I do. I'm just uh, going to put it out. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're a real riot to be around. <laughs> so I, I guess I mean to that point, what's next? You know, what are what are people saying to you that they're interested? Now, like, what's the future? Where are you going with Stripe? Well, we talked about this idea of the GPTN, the Global Payments and Treasury Network, and we're not done with that. Uh, I mean, we're really proud of the fact that Stripe is available in so many different countries. You know, we're sort of directly available uh, to businesses in 32 countries. We've, you know, really you know, material expansion plans over the next 6, 12 months, 18 months, so on. We're adding all these different payment methods to Stripe, and importantly, we're adding them in an integrated fashion. Same disbursement flows, same reporting flows, same UX flows, same APIs, and so on. And so kind of you get this incredible sort of economy of scale where when you integrate Stripe once, you now get this kind of compounding advantage for free over time, making it incredibly easy to, to add all these different markets. However, well, that's great. I, I, that's 32 countries um, uh, in that we, uh, we really want to make Stripe available uh, to, uh, you know, obviously over time, more than 200 countries. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, so that's still a, a really key area of focus. And then the second thing, and I think a lot of, you know, businesses, people, uh, companies here uh, are seeing... Um, you know, in, in different ways, uh, we are all um, sort of, uh, we're trying to build for a more interconnected world. And the world uh, is not, um, you know, the, 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 the tide of globalization and the kind of secular tailwind that that represented, that's not, um, that's not the same tailwind today that it was five years ago, uh, in that, you know, whether it's in politics or policy, uh, you know, the, the, there are challenges uh, and um, uh, sort of uh, uh, hurdles uh, that we're all trying to navigate that I think uh, were not as significant uh, in the fairly recent past. Yeah. And so as we look at the, you know, again, more than a billion businesses we're serving, we're trying to figure out how to help them serve a truly global customer base uh, and not have to go and have a 15-person team 
uh, sort of uh, overcoming regulatory and incumbency barriers in each different country they want to serve. Yeah, and, and I guess I guess this sort of leads to how are you doing this with you know there's fifteen hundred people now at Stripe. Oh no, at the end of this year will be two and a half thousand. So two and a half thousand, like covering all of those geographies, doing all of these things. Like you know, many of the organisations that are in the room, you know, big banks are yeah. two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand people covering right. much smaller geographies. Yeah. Um, how how have you managed to be so productive with I guess so few people? Well, um, you know, Bill Gates also the, the, the good line about how you can't measure soft, measuring software progress by lines of code is like measuring aircraft progress by weight. Um, and, uh, and kind of similarly within organizations, uh, you know, it obviously really depends on kind of how you're doing it. Mm. Um, uh, you know, part of the answer is, of course, well, there's two answers. One is, you know, software just enables amazing leverage, right? Uh, and, you know, when WhatsApp was acquired by Facebook, you know, there were whatever, less than 100 people, uh, and yet they, they, they were serving hundreds of millions uh, of, of customers at the time. Um, the second thing is um, having, having a partnership model yeah. in that we're working with more and more other financial partners with time, uh, and we want... You know, we, we really try to take the long view where you know, there, there are partners we've been working with for eight, nine years, and we want them to feel that Stripe is their best partnership, right? Uh, because there's not a chance that we or anyone could enable the things that we want to facilitate uh, if we try to go it alone. Mm. Uh, and we're, 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 we want to play a role in sort of helping, again, facilitate this innovation, this creation, this global expansion, but we're not trying to you know, dominate it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and we think that it's, I mean, when you zoom out and look at it on a global macro basis, about three, four, five percent, depending on how you define the denominator, about three, four, five percent of all consumer spending happens online. And so as an industry, the thing that we have to be fixated on is how do we turn that five percent into 30 percent, 50 percent, not on you know, how exactly we're going to elbow people you know, beside us to sort of marginally increase our share of the you know, point in time pie. Yeah. So this is about growing the pie for everybody, essentially, in terms of this space, because like you say, taking that 5 to 30% materially changes globally how that ecosystem works. A absolutely. And, and I mean, maybe kind of growing the pie is sometimes tossed around sort of a little bit too readily or cheaply or whatever. But like here, I mean, the, the, the numbers involved are so astronomical. You look at the number of consumers coming online in places like Africa and Southeast Asia. You look at the degree of interconnectedness and kind of the barriers to trade and opportunity that exist today. Uh, you look at the startup creation rates in so many different parts of the world where, okay, fine, maybe in uh, places like Amsterdam, Paris, London, Berlin, you know, San Francisco, New York, it's, it's you know, pretty successful there. But there are so many places in the world that could be startup hubs that aren't yet. Uh, you know, we invested in a company in Lagos uh, back a couple of months ago, and one of my best friends is there right now. Lagos is going to be an amazing startup hub, but they're really at the, kind of the, the earlier stages today. And so I think as a sector, as an industry, we for a long time have been sort of way too kind of inward looking, too focused on Western Europe and North America. There are now more than 7 billion people who we have to be sort of um, building a model of inclusive capitalism for. Uh, and I think we have a lot of runway left to go in that, uh, in that trajectory. Yeah. I mean, there's so much change. You know, we're in a, a world that's moving so fast, you know, with tech and reg and all these things changing. Like, which bits really excite you? You know, you seem so passionate about fixing these problems, which is yeah. wonderful. Like, is that what drives you to sort of get out of bed every day and come in and do this? Yeah, look, okay, I, I doubt there are very many other people motivated, uh, you know, by, the, uh, by, by increasing the GDP of the internet necessarily, mm. uh, and who find, you know, macroeconomics as scintillating as, you know, some of the folks that strive to, but um, uh, uh, in my personal opinion, uh, what could be more fun uh, and, uh, and just kind of more uh, meaningful 
than working on behalf uh, of the most innovative companies in the world, uh, in that we are trying to, um, we're trying to sort of build a platform that is in aggregate sort of an anti-incumbency force, uh, where we're trying to make it easier for more entrepreneurs to get started, and for anybody who has a good idea or any team that's sort of figured out a good model in one place to go and to make that available to, to a truly global customer base. The total rate of innovation in the world is not some fixed constant, right? You know, we talk about sort of global uh, TFP kind of productivity growth statistics and rates of firm creation and, and so on as a kind of meteorology, uh, as, as this kind of observational science. But like, it is ultimately determined by tools, by culture, uh, and by infrastructure. Uh, and I think that the actions of you know, small groups of, um, uh, of, um, uh, of uh, you know, sort of deliberately directed individuals can, 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 can make a, a meaningful difference there. It's like you know, the, the, the line from Nietzsche, it's kind of a long obedience in the same direction. You know, with infrastructure, it takes a long time, but I think when you're working on enabling this innovation, it's worth spending it. Sounds good. I mean, what could be more exciting than that, really? So um, I guess on, on that note, I mean, it's the, like I say, you say these things and it sounds so obvious. It's like, do you listen to customers, do what they want to, go big with this stuff. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, we thought when we were starting out that, like, we initially started out serving smaller startups yeah. uh, and developers. Uh, and we thought, okay, you know, I presume the biggest companies in the world have this figured out, uh, but, uh, but you know, perhaps there are some you know, ways to improve things for, for those at an earlier stage. Now it's increasingly clear to us, you know, we're working with some of the largest internet companies in every major market in Western Europe, in the US, in Canada, in Japan, in Singapore, in Brazil, et cetera. Um, and even for these enormous companies, they're dealing with exactly the same challenges. How do we navigate uh, su supporting the plethora of payment methods that we want to enable in these different geos? Uh, how, do we, uh, how do we handle SEA? Uh, how, how do we handle security, mm. right? Uh, and, uh, and so the, the kind of eye-opening thing to us is that even these you know, uh, incredibly large companies while they are huge, they're actually in many ways, you know, they are just as uh, motivated to increase their rate of innovation as the 20-person company. Yeah, it's amazing at that point that technology fades into the background and this is people dealing with people, right? Exactly. All right, on that note, Patrick, thank you very much. Thank you.